You are listening to the District Church Podcast. To learn more about us, find us online at districtchurch.org. Well, good morning, District Church. It is so good to be with you all on this first Sunday of March. We are springing into spring, hopefully, yes. Um, And I'm so excited for District Youth as um, they will be gathering this evening. I'm excited to see what God is going to do among the youth in our church. Now, in honor of district youth kicking off, throughout my sermon today, you're going to hear a little bit of my own teenage drama, all right? So we're going to start with when I was a senior in high school. I had a a fairly easy academic load. I was not trying to do all the AP this or honors that or whatever. I just wanted to enjoy my senior year. I was also really into music. I was planning to be a music major in college. And so uh, my senior year was filled with music. I was in the school band. I was in the jazz band. I was in the school choir. I was in the uh, show choir. And uh, I even took a music theory class with my band director, which was kind of a joke, but it was another music class. I just basically sang and played my way through my senior year of high school, and it was glorious. Now, I was selected that year and the years prior to be a part of the West Virginia All-State Choir. Um, It was an honor to sing at the state level. Oh, yeah, it was a big deal, guys. Um, And now... At our, at our school, uh, choir was n- admittedly not very cool. Like, it was not very cool to be in choir. There were not a lot of guys who sang in our choir. Um, but at the rival high school, their show choir, their choir was amazing. They had a lot of guys, like cool guys, that sang in their choir. And uh, one of those guys caught my eye. Uh, his name was Brandon. Now, well... I know. Pastor Aaron already knows. It's okay. We've had this chat. Um, After several overlapping encounters and performances, this show choir suitor and I started to date. And I was pretty excited, you know. Um, He was kind of a big deal at his school, so I felt like I was dating the popular kid at the rival high school. Um, But to be fair, dating for me in 1995 looked like phone calls on the family phone a couple times a week and maybe a meetup at the local mall. Um, After all, I was still living for Jesus at that time, even if I was dating the popular uh, show choir boy from across the town. Now, we had not been dating very long uh, before All-State Choir happened. So all those who were selected from across the state came together to sing. I loved it. And not only was I going to get to see my new boyfriend at All-State Choir, I was also going to see going with my best friend from school, Becky. Uh, Becky and I spent a lot of time together. We loved to sing and dance with one another. We would often have long chats about the guys we were interested in or who we were dating. We were just really good friends, and we seemed to have a lot in common. Now, it just so happened that the same weekend of All-State Choir, I was also competing in a West Virginia pageant. Something that I had never done before in my life. It was not something I was really into. 
But this pageant, it focused on character and talent and academics, and we were competing solely for an academic scholarship, which my family desperately needed me to get for college. So I had to leave the all-state choir experience a little bit early to get to this pageant. And, you know, suffice it to say, I won Miss Congeniality. I did not win the pageant. Um, but fast forward a couple of weeks. I could tell that my rival school boyfriend, uh, Brandon, was becoming a little more distant. I couldn't figure out why. What had happened? Well, one night he called me on the family phone and said, Amy, I need to tell you something. Ever since All-State Choir, I've been seeing someone else. I've been seeing Becky, and I'd like to pursue things with her. Well, I was so shocked and confused in the moment. I was like, Becky, Becky who? <laughs> he said, you know, your best friend, Becky. My jaw on the floor. Tears welled up in my eyes as I got off the phone. I was devastated and hurt. I had never felt so betrayed in all my life. My best friend, the person I was closest to at school, and the guy that I had grown to really enjoy were dating behind my back. Betrayal is a painful, awful experience. You often feel like you've had the wind knocked out of you and often feel often that hurt and that shock doesn't leave. Your body has a hard time recovering from that wind getting knocked out of you. I want you to think of a time. Hopefully you didn't have a time, but I want you to think, has there been a time in your life when you've experienced betrayal? Maybe a good friend or a family member who went behind your back, hurt you in some way? Do you remember how it felt in your heart or even in your body? Can you imagine becoming really close to someone, seeking to entrust the intimate things of your life with that person, knowing fully that they would one day betray you? Jesus invited Judas to follow him. He brought Judas into conversations that only 11 other guys in the whole world knew about. Jesus even gave Judas the responsibility of taking care of the finances of the ministry because Jesus knew that was Judas's gift and his passion. Jesus sought to trust Judas. He took deliberate actions of trust toward him. Jesus desired friendship and companionship with him, knowing full well that Judas would ultimately betray him. Today's scripture, it's just a couple of verses, holds within it a level of life and humanity that we all want to deny, but ultimately we can all relate to. Mark 14, 10 through 11 says, Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Now just as a reminder of where we have been the past few weeks um, or days preceding today, leading up to the death and the resurrection of Jesus, here's a quick refresher. On Sunday, Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Everyone was excited and celebrating his entry. Then, if you remember, the end of that day was a little anticlimactic. 
Everyone initially was like, this is it. And then the end of the day, it was like, is this it? Then on Monday, we feel like we encounter hangry Jesus, right? He's cursing fig trees. He's turning over tables. When in reality, everything he was doing had purpose in teaching and broadening the expansion and reach of the kingdom of God. Now, on Tuesday of that week, Jesus was teaching his disciples all about how to live with urgency and how to be prepared for the end times when Christ would return. I'm sure it was a little bit overwhelming for them. And this brings us to Wednesday, the day before the Passover feast. We don't necessarily know what was happening with Jesus on this day, but we do know that Judas was busy. He had a lot going on. The story of Judas is fascinating. First of all, Judas was from Karaoth in the southern region of Judea, whereas the other disciples, they were all from Galilee. So there may have been some regional or relational differences between Judas and the other disciples since they weren't from the same area. And while the Bible doesn't lay out specific a specific timeline of when each of the disciples kind of joined Jesus's ministry, it's fairly widely accepted that Judas joined Jesus and the other disciples pretty early on in Jesus's ministry. And we also know, as I mentioned earlier, Judas was the money keeper of the ministry. And based on scripture, he may have been a little preoccupied with the money. Now, we all want to act as though we are superior to Judas. When we hear Judas's name, we often think, oh, what a horrible person. How could you be so close to Jesus and betray him? We might raise our eyebrows or shake our heads in judgment or disbelief that he or anyone could ever betray Jesus. Of course, 1 Corinthians 10, 10 12 reminds us, therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. In other words, we all sit around judging Judas when in reality, we all have a little bit of Judas in us. We're all susceptible to falling prey to temptation and allowing the enemy to get a foothold in our lives. In both Luke and John's gospel accounts, when they speak of Judas's betrayal, they record Satan entered Judas two different times. So perhaps twice, Judas was tempted. He made a deliberate choice to betray Jesus, and Satan deceived him. The first thing that we learn about Judas's betrayal is the all-encompassing nature of sin and the active nature of the enemy. Satan can deceive any of us. The truth of Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, comes alive in Judas' story. In other words, we are all Judas. We all have a little bit of Judas in us. We all have a Wednesday moment. Let me explain. Just a few verses later in Mark 14, Jesus predicts this betrayal. Mark 14, 17 through 18 says, When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve, and they were reclining at the table, eating. He said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Well, 
Jesus' words here, as some commentators have said, were quite vague. The disciples were all sad because it caused each one of them to say, surely you don't mean me. Jesus is very intentional in his choice of words. He could have very easily said, Judas, you're about to betray me. Go and do what you've set out to do. I mean, just a few verses later, he directly calls out Peter's denial to him. It's also interesting that all the other disciples, they didn't automatically know or assume that it was Judas or anyone else. In other words, the disciples didn't immediately suspect Judas would be the one to betray Jesus. So why was Jesus so vague? Why didn't he just name Judas like he later did Peter? Jesus wanted his disciples, his faithful followers, those closest to him to be introspective, to realize that any one of them could betray him. Jesus wanted his disciples to catch the fact that they were just as in need of the redemptive power of grace through the coming death and resurrection of Jesus as everyone else was. He needed them to feel the possibility that they could each fall away from him. And he later tells them that they all will indeed fall away, including Peter. And the same is true for us today. Any one of us could allow Satan to deceive us and get a foothold in our lives. As we heard from Pastor Aaron last week, sign one of the end times is deception. Satan's strategy has always been to deceive God's people. None of us is exempt from the all-encompassing nature of sin. And those of us who think we are safe are most susceptible to the clutches of sin. Now, I opened today's sermon with a story of how I was betrayed by one of my best friends, but I neglected to tell you the story of something that happened the year before this betrayal. Well, once again, it starts with music. I was in the band. It was marching band season, and I played the French horn. Well, in marching band, it's called the mellophone. It just looks like an oversized trumpet. I also hung out with all the other brass instruments, including the trumpet players. Well, a good friend of mine that I had grown up with, Angel, who was not in the band, had come to talk to me about a boy she liked. His name was Matt, and he just happened to play the trumpet. Well, she wanted me to try and help her make a connection with him. She wanted me to play matchmaker. Now, anyone who knows me knows that I love to play matchmaker, even now. And I have a few stories of success from our church, two of which are married and pregnant right now. <laughs> you can ask me about that later, okay? Anyway, I told Angel I was more than happy to play matchmaker. So I started getting to know Matt and asking him lots of questions. I would often talk about Angel in our conversations. But before I knew it, it got harder and harder to talk about Angel. I kind of stopped focusing on connecting Matt with Angel because I really started liking this Matt guy for myself. The next thing I knew, I was like, Angel who? And Matt and I started hanging out a lot more regularly. And within a few weeks, I was the one dating Matt, not Angel. Angel was so hurt and angry. I totally betrayed her trust. 
She trusted me to help her get connected to Matt, and instead I just stole him for myself. Now, aside from vulnerably sharing my own teenage drama, remember it is District Youth Kickoff Sunday, (laughs) the truth is I opened with a story of me being betrayed by my best friend, but the year before, I was the betrayer. I betrayed one of my longest and closest friends. Jesus calls all of us out in Matthew 7, 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Satan can deceive us all. We are all sinners. We all have a little bit of Judas in us. So we can judge him all we want, but he's inside us all. And once we recognize the all-encompassing nature of sin, We also have to see how deeply rooted this sin can be in our lives. Beyond Satan deceiving Judas, it's helpful to see the other potential motivations that led Judas to betray Jesus, moving from the width of sin to the depth of sin. Sin runs deep. The depth of sin is revealed in our motivations. What is the deep part of our heart that is in the clutches of the enemy? When we see what motivates us to sin, then we can begin to understand the true areas of our heart that need to be surrendered, cleansed, and redeemed. So what motivated Judas? Now, the Gospel of Mark doesn't explicitly name the motivation of Judas's betrayal. You have to look at the other Gospel accounts to get a broader picture of the details and try to discern what could have led Judas to do this. Matthew's Gospel points to money being a potential motivation, saying that Judas went to the chief priests asking how much they were willing to pray, pay for the betrayal. And we know that Judas was given 30 pieces of silver for turning in Jesus. But in reality, 30 pieces of silver would have been the equivalent of like $400 today. Doesn't seem like enough to turn in your best friend to the authorities. Embezzlement is a second possible motive. John reports in his gospel that Judas criticized Mary's waste of perfume in anointing Jesus because he'd been pilfering through the money bag which he was holding for Jesus and the disciples. John names that Judas was in charge of the money, not because he cared for the poor, but because he had different intentions for the money that he held. So theft or misappropriation of funds could have been driving Judas. Now there's also some speculation that Judas was motivated by his nationalism. This theory says that Judas does not ultimately want Jesus to die, but he hopes to force him into a militant stance against the Romans. Judas may have had certain expectations of what a Messiah would do for him and the Jewish people. And when it seemed that his expectations were not met, he may have taken matters into his own hands, forced Jesus to be the militant leader that he hoped Jesus would be. How often do we allow our own unmet expectations to lead us to take matters into our own hands? Things don't go as we expect them to or even hope for them to. And just like Judas, 
Instead of patiently waiting on the Lord, we try to push our own agenda through without fully considering all the implications or without knowing the full story. Judas may have also felt pressures from the empire or a responsibility to the religious and political leaders. Theologian John Munier says this about Judas's betrayal. The societal, political, economic, and religious pressures we are often put under sometimes leads us to compromise the values of the kingdom of God. Judas was under pressure by the empire and the religious authorities to bring Jesus in. Being faithful to God often requires us to resist the temptation of the empires. Resisting the pressures of society, the influences of the empires around us and political ideologies is often harder than we want to acknowledge. We all know here in D.C. political ideologies often fight against the values of our faith. Sometimes our devotion to these influences is stronger than our devotion to God. Sin runs deep. Being faithful to the kingdom of God requires us to resist the temptation to allow these influences to take over. Now, I want to give a quick plug. Palestinian theologian John Munayer will actually be with us this coming Saturday evening for a night of prayer for Israel and Palestine. I'd love to have you join us for a night of prayer and worship. We're going to worship together and hear his heart for his people. It will be a really special time and a unique opportunity to hear from a Palestinian Christian. So you can RSVP at this link. Now we often get overcome or overpowered by the influences of this world. We betray Jesus because of our fear of pleasing others or our desire to get ahead. We all have a little bit of selfishness and self-centeredness that runs deep inside of us and it drives us or motivates us. Sin runs deep and we're often very unaware of it. Money and power, two very tempting and enticing motivators that seemingly influenced Judas. Satan uses these to get us to betray Jesus all the time. These motivating factors are often the root of our sin. Now, it might not look like turning Jesus into the authorities or um, betraying Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. But in our words, in our actions, we betray him all the time. Money deceives us into thinking and feeling that what it gives or the feeling we get from it is more satisfying than God is. There are few things that lure us to exchange the glory of God more readily than money. And we betray Jesus. Power deceives us into thinking that it is ours to have and revel in. We often lack the humility to acknowledge that all power is the Lord's, all of it. And any authority that we might have is on loan to us to use for God's kingdom and purpose. When we abuse it, we betray Jesus. And the crazy thing to realize is that Judas was involved in and participating in community. He was still involved in the community. He was still in his life group, but he was totally checked out. He didn't feel safe enough to actually share what was actually going on inside of him. 
Whatever was going on with him, whatever pressures he was feeling, he kept his thoughts and his feelings to himself. He didn't let anyone else in. Ultimately, Judas uses Jesus as a means to an end instead of loving Jesus for who he is. Sin runs deep. And it says in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, 14, it's no wonder for Satan masquerades as an angel of light. The devil is busy and we are so vulnerable to being tempted. We must be so alert and aware of the enemy's schemes or else we will fall prey to temptation. We also have to be willing to be vulnerable in community with others, sharing what's going on with us so that we're not alone in our struggles. Now we see what's happening with Judas in this betrayal. Satan deceived him. He's already predisposed to allow money and power to influence him. He's not open or vulnerable with his community, and he gives in to temptation. But what's going on with Jesus? Jesus knew the whole time that Judas would betray him. Not only because he's God, but also because there were prophecies in Zechariah and Jeremiah that pointed to this fact. Jesus knew that all the disciples would forsake him, and yet he still chose to be in relationship with them. He chose to share the details of his divinity and his humanity with them, his life and his purpose. But more specifically, in the hours leading up to Judas' betrayal, Peter's denial, and all of the disciples falling away, Jesus demonstrates grace. His saving grace abounds. Jesus knows what's going on behind the scenes, and he continues to go on and to prepare what, his, what will be his final meal with those he loves. He knows that Judas will betray him, and yet he still washes his nasty feet. He sits at the table with him and enjoys dinner. Jesus knows that Peter will deny him, that all the disciples will fall away from him, and yet he still spends his final hours comforting, teaching, and praying for his disciples. Everything that Jesus does oozes with grace. Grace is just who Jesus is. Grace didn't start on the cross. It comes from every part of him, every word and every action. Even when he was turning over tables and cursing fig trees, that was his grace to include all people. Grace doesn't always look like floating through the air and smiling at everyone you see. Grace looks like being the leader or the one in charge, sitting on the floor, taking off sandals, washing donkey poo and mucky mud off of feet. Grace looks like placing bread in the hands of the person who you know will betray you and continuing to love him. Jesus not only taught extreme living, but he also lived extreme grace and love. And we are called to do the same. Jesus' death on the cross was an extreme act of grace for each one of us to experience complete forgiveness for the ways that we have and will continue to betray him. 
Jesus' death and resurrection made it possible for all of us betrayers to be redeemed. And I can report that my own teenage drama of of betrayal ultimately ended in forgiveness and grace. Before my junior year was finished, I had apologized to Angel, and she was willing to forgive me. She also started dating Matt. It truly was teenage high school drama. After Brandon was over Becky, Becky came to me right before my high school graduation, on graduation day, to apologize. Of course I forgave her. After all, I'd been forgiven first by Jesus and by Angel. So I desired to forgive Becky as well. I'm actually still friends with both of them today, perhaps not as close as we could have been had trust not been broken, but we are still friends. Saving grace abounds. That is what is available to everyone. All of us have a little bit of Judas in us where sin runs deep. And if we each take an honest look, an honest inventory of our lives, our thoughts, our actions, our words... I think we can all honestly say that we've experienced a Wednesday moment of betraying Jesus. But the good news is that God's saving grace abounds. His grace is everlasting. It's never ending. Jesus is merciful and desires to extend his saving grace to all who are willing to acknowledge the sin in their lives and to take responsibility for the ways that they betrayed Jesus. One of the ways that we experience the saving grace of Christ is through confession of our sins and repentance. Repentance simply means that you will no longer walk in the way of that sin. You'll no longer continue doing the things you've been doing that betrays Jesus. Confession of sin, it just requires vulnerability. And repentance needs courage to be transparent and honest. At the district church, we have always valued being vulnerable and transparent with one another. But it's not for vulnerability's sake or because being vulnerable has all of a sudden become trendy by Brene Brown or social media. It's because when you are vulnerable and you confess your sins, God can work with you. God can do something with that. After after Jesus was arrested... Judas went back to the religious leaders and confessed, I have sinned, for I have betrayed innocent blood. After the rooster crowed at Peter's denial, Peter wept bitterly as an act of repentance. And after the resurrection, Jesus restores Peter. Grace is extended to all those who are willing to acknowledge the ways that they have betrayed Jesus those who confess their sins and then repent, turning away from sin to live according to the ways of Jesus. Now, I'm not sure where this message finds you. Perhaps you've been on the receiving end of betrayal and you're still sitting in your hurt and your bitterness. Perhaps you are the betrayer and you have allowed pride to get in the way of seeking forgiveness and reconciliation. Regardless, of whether you feel like you've been betrayed or you are the betrayer, 
I want you to look beyond those labels right now. I want you to focus on you and Jesus. Just think about your relationship with Jesus. Maybe even imagine Jesus standing right in front of you. First of all, know that he desperately loves you. There is nothing that you can say or do that will get him to love you more or less. I want you just to to reflect a little bit. Do a little self-reflection. What are the things that are currently standing in the way of your relationship with Jesus? What are the barriers or the sin in your life that you're engaging with that betrays your relationship with Jesus? Maybe you're having impure thoughts or thoughts of causing harm to someone. Maybe you've been greedy or selfish with your time or your money. Maybe you've been sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend and continually trying to justify it. Maybe you are allowing your positions of leadership to glorify yourself rather than bringing glory to God. What are you currently doing with your actions, your words, or your money, your priorities, or your allegiances that are not honoring God and His kingdom? I want you to be honest with yourself and honest with the Lord. I want you to be courageous and vulnerable. Where do you need to fall at Jesus' feet and ask for His forgiveness? The, The Lord draws near to the brokenhearted. So allow your heart to be broken for the ways that you've betrayed him. I'm going to invite you to stand as our prayer team comes forward. And if you're here today and you're starting to recognize that there are ways that you've been betraying Christ, things in your life that are standing in the way of your relationship with Jesus, I want you to begin to lay those things down. Lay them down at the feet of Jesus. If there are things that you need to confess to someone else because you desire to be free from your sins, I want you to, I want to invite you to come forward and share those things with our prayer team. They're not going to judge you. They're not going to share those things beyond that personal conversation. They just want to stand with you in prayer. They want to help you see freedom from those sins. So as I pray, as we continue in worship, I'm going to invite you to come. Even if you want to just come and create the space of this as an altar between you and the Lord, just to lay whatever has been heavy on your heart, ways that you've betrayed Him, to lay those things down to the Lord. And if you want to confess things to the prayer counselors, I invite you to do that. Come as I pray and as we sing and worship. God, we thank you. We thank you for your saving grace that abounds. We ask for your forgiveness for the ways that we have betrayed you, for the ways that we will continue to betray you. We ask for your forgiveness. We thank you that saving grace pours out over on all the things that we do that stands in the way of those Judas moments that we have, the all-encompassing nature of sin that has abounded in our life. We lay those things at your feet, Lord. 
we come with a repentant heart, ready to get right with you, ready to make our lives right with yours, to align ourselves with you, Jesus. Just say, Lord, we need you. We need your saving grace. We need you. We're desperate for you. If all of us are honest with ourselves, we know that there's Judas living inside of us that needs to be confessed and repented of. God, we lay that down right now in Jesus' name. We pray that we would see freedom and deliverance today from sin, from the bondage and the clutches of sin. May the enemy no longer have a foothold in our lives. May we experience complete freedom in you, Jesus. We pray and we ask these things in the mighty name of